this morning, um, if you didn't get the, the email that we sent out Friday, I um, just want to let, kind of let you know some things that are a little different this morning. Um, Genesis 34 is going to be our passage of scripture, and because of the content of Genesis 34, I've worked out with Charlie, normally this is Family Worship Sunday where our kids uh, stay in, but uh, I've, I've worked out with Charlie to swap that to next week, and so I'm asking that if you have kids up through fifth grade to go ahead and send them. Charlie's, I don't see, I don't see any other. Charlie, I think we're good. Charlie was waiting in the, in the foyer. Um, Genesis chapter 34, if you've, if you've never read it, is, is, contains some, some graphic content. Um, it, it is a difficult passage and it's one that I want to be able to address head-on with, with care, um, with, with directness, but also in the context of the church. You can see there in your worship guide from the blanks that aren't filled in um, what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be dealing with, with sexual abuse this morning. And this is a conversation that we have to have in the church. We, we have to, men, we have to talk about this. Ladies, we, we have to talk about this. And, and I understand that a topic like this in, in a congregation of, of our size and, and the, the different backgrounds from which all of us have come, that this conversation will probably be harder for some of you than it is for others. Um, statistics will say that one out of every three churchgoers know someone who has been directly affected by sexual abuse. Um, I believe the number is actually higher than that because I believe we live in a system and a culture where a lot of people who have been abused sexually don't speak up. They, they've, they've not known. So we might actually know someone without even realizing it. So, so my, 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 my heart's desire this morning as we walk through Genesis 34 together, is to, to see what happens, to look, you'll see it there in your outline, um, sinful ways that this topic has been addressed, and then what does the cross have to say about it? This is not a stand up here and preach to you message. Uh, I'm going to sit down here in just a second after we read the passage, and we're just going to talk about it. We're, we're going to talk about it together. Um, and, and I want it to be a time of, of healing and a time of action for us in the church. So if you have your place in Scripture, Genesis 34, I'm going to read the entire chapter. So that way we all know what we're, what, where we're going to walk through. And we won't spend a whole lot of time developing the chapter as, as normally we do. But it says this. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to visit the daughters of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, who was the prince of the land, saw her, he took her and he lay with her by force. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, get me this young girl for a wife. Now Jacob had heard that Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob kept silent until they came in. 
Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field. And when they heard about this, the men were grieved and they were very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter by force, for such a thing ought not to be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him in marriage. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourselves. Thus you shall live with us in the land. It shall be open for you. Live in it and trade in it and acquire property within it. Shechem also said to her father and to the brothers, if I find favor in your sight and I will give you whatever you say to me, ask me ever so much a bridal payment and gift and I will give according to you as you say to me, but give me the girl in marriage. Jacob's sons answered Shechem and his father Hamor with deceit because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to him, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we consent to you. If you will become like us and that every male of you be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we will live with you and become uh, we become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will go. The words seemed reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, Hamor's son. And the young man did not delay to do the very thing that he was asked because he delighted with Jacob's daughter. And he was more respected than all the others of the household of his father. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of the city saying, These men are friendly with us. Therefore, let them live in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters in marriage and give our daughters to them. Only on this condition will the men consent to us to live with us to become one people, that every male among us to be circumcised as they are circumcised. (laughs) Will not their livestock and their property and all of their animals be ours? Only let us consent to them, and they will live with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to to Hamor and to his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, and all went out of the gate of the city. Now it came about on the third day, when they were in pain, that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came upon the city unaware and killed every male. They killed Hamor, they killed his son Shechem with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah from Shechem's house and they went forth. Jacob's sons came forth, uh, came upon the slain and looted the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds and their donkeys and all that was in the city that they took was in the field. And they captured and looted all of their wealth and their little ones and their wives, even all that was in the houses. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble upon me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and of the Perizzites. And my men being few in number, these will gather together and against me and attack me and I will be destroyed, I and my household. But they said to him, should he be allowed to treat our sister as a harlot? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a gracious God. And even when we struggle to understand why, 
why life is the way that it is, why people act with such evil, why we have hard passages like this in your word. God, we thank you that you give us the grace to see you. And when everything else looks dim, we can see you bright and shining in the love that you have given us by giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I ask this morning for redemption of heart, redemption of mind, for reconciliation and peace, Lord, for healing. Lord, I have no doubt in my mind that these words, these words that you have given to us, secure in scripture, your infallible word. I have no doubt that they will open up wounds for some, but Lord, that they will also be the healing that some will need because you're a good God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. this passage of scripture is quite honestly one that is tempting to just pass over as a pastor. We we leave Jacob in this great meeting he has with Esau and we go to chapter 35 and we see Jacob moving to Bethel where he had established that this is where worship would take place. And right in the middle of it we have this this passage, and, and your, your Bible may have subheadings over certain passages. M- mine does, and, and this whole chapter 34 says, the treachery of Jacob's sons. And even that can be troublesome because you read the passage and you look at what takes place right here, what unfolds on the pages of Scripture, and you think, wait, 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 why was this treachery of, of the sons? We, we live in a day where we cannot afford, as the church, to be silent when it comes to things about sexual abuse. There are a lot of things, and, 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 and I want you to hear me, uh, I want you to hear me very clearly, hear my heart. I completely understand, completely understand the idea that there are some things you just shouldn't talk about in church. I get that. I, I, I completely understand that, that there, there are some that just the idea, not because of an experience you've had, but just the idea of a, a message on this topic is, is not comfortable. But if we cannot have a loving conversation in the walls of the church where we are by design of Christ to encourage one another, to equip one another, to train one another, and to love one another, if we can't have it here, how can we be effective out there when someone who comes to us with brokenness, in need of hope, in need of healing? Furthermore, we've got to talk about it in the church because the unfortunate reality is this happens in the church. I praise God that to my knowledge, it's not true of our church, but we are not the only church in the world. Furthermore, we can't even say this isn't true about Baptists. 
The Houston Chronicle has done a great job of uncovering what we have been trying to hide as a convention for a number of years when it comes to sexual abuse. So before we get in, if you have had experience and this lies in your past, I want you to hear me that I'm going to do everything I can to have this conversation with you with, with grace because the gospel is greater than anything. So we look at this passage of scripture. It's pretty clear what happens. Dinah is defiled by Shechem. Dinah is the daughter of Jacob. She was born to Leah. And it says that Shechem, this prince, saw her, was enthralled with her. And it says there, he lay with her by force. He rapes this girl. We're going to call it what it is. This is why I've asked for the, for the children to, to be out. And we're going to call it what it is. He rapes this girl. Notice with me even further, it goes on and it says in verse four that he says, get me this young girl for a wife. We don't know how old Dinah is. It was customary in, especially in the time of the fathers, which would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's time period. But even into the time of Christ that girls as young as 13, 14, 15 are, are getting married. I do not know how old Dinah is, but let's just say she's 15 years old. Let's say she's 25. Let's say she's 55. She was forced to have a sexual relationship with someone that she did not want. She was raped. And when an act like this takes place, there is always a response. We're going to walk through some responses in a minute, but let's just start and see how Jacob's family responds to it. Look what he says. Verse 5, Jacob heard that he had defiled, that Shechem had defiled Dinah, his daughter. His sons were in the field, but Jacob kept silent. Verse 7, the sons of Jacob came in from the field. When they heard it, the men were grieved and they were angry because of the disgraceful thing that had just taken place. You've got silence by the father. And I don't want to read into it and try to speak where scripture is silent, but part of me can't help but wonder, would Jacob have been silent if it had been Rachel's daughter instead of Leah's? He had already separated the families before he got to Esau and kept Rachel's family close to be more protective and sent Leah's family as kind of the sacrificial lambs because it's been no secret thus far that he loved Rachel but not Leah. Would he have been silent if it had been Rachel's daughter? But Shechem decides, you know what? Let me just marry her. Give me this young girl for a wife. And in verse 3 through 12, we see this bargaining, this back and forth. Shechem desires to marry this young girl. It says that he loved her. Men, let me just tell you something real quick. There is nothing loving about forcing a woman to do something she does not want to do. It doesn't matter the sweet nothings that you can whisper into her ear. Look at what Shechem does, verse four. He was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and that's fine. It's fine to be attracted. Man, the first time I saw Christy at, walking through Binkley Chapel at Southeastern Seminary, woo, 
Yeah, attractive. I saw her walk out from getting dressed this morning. Woo! Yeah, attractive. And he loved her. That's fine. But don't try to say that something is loving when you're going to put all these sweet nothings in her ear and you have to beg and you have to manipulate and you have to force. It says that he lay with her by force. Shechem seeks marriage. Give me this young girl for a wife. And then, then the, the dowry, it was, it was common practice in the old days. And by the old days, I don't mean like back in like leave it to beaver days, Andy Griffith days. We're not talking about Mayberry. We're talking about way old days. I think only one or two of y'all were there back when Isaac was. In <laughs> I'm just kidding. not going to point fingers. Look askance at you and see. Um, There'll be a dowry, a a purchase price for for the daughter. There is some property association there. But the sons carried on the family and the name and the wife was then sent to the other family. So it might have been camels. It might have been land. It might have been, there was some sort of, bargaining and so that's what's going on with the negotiation between Hamor and Shechem and Jacob's family whatever the price is you give it to me and 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 you 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 name it and and I will do it because because I want her we're going to come back to what all that's about in just a little bit but the negotiation is never on the lips of Jacob his silence continues until the end of the chapter It is Jacob's sons that demand the circumcision. Verse 13, his sons answered Shechem and his father, Hamor. We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised because that would be a disgrace for us. You've humiliated and disgraced us enough by what you've already done. We're not going to intermarry because we are of this covenant of God. They're bringing the covenant of God into the picture here. So under this condition, all of you get circumcised. All of you males have the foreskin removed. All of you do this. All. Not not just some of you. Not just Shechem. Not just Hamor. Because it's, hey, let's just become one people. Let's all get together. Can everybody get along? And all of these things are being thrown out there. Okay, you become like us and become circumcised and then we'll do it. It was the demand. Otherwise, he says in verse 17, if you don't listen to us and be circumcised, we'll take the daughter and we'll go. Here's your prize. And so it says that their words seem reasonable to Hamor and Shechem, verse 18. Furthermore, it says in verse 19 that Shechem did not delay to do the thing because he was delighted with Jacob's daughter. And they, they pitched the idea to all the people in the city and all the men say, yes, it says in verse 24, they went out of the gate of the city, they listened to Hamor and to the son Shechem and every male was circumcised. But notice it says there in verse 13 that Jacob's son answered with deceit. They had a plan up their sleeve. Dad, you're going to be silent about what happened to our sister, but we're not. He says there in verse 25, it came about on the third day when they were in pain, the the men who had just been circumcised, 
that two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took a sword and came upon the city unaware and killed every man. Shechem is slaughtered. Men that could not fight because of something that they agreed to based on the sin of one that did not involve them. So I don't know what's going on through in Shechem's mind, why he thinks he can get away with this. It could be because he was wealthy. He was the, he was the, the prince. He was the heir to the throne. I mean, how many, how many men in power have we seen fall just in recent years because they thought that their power, their prestige, their, their, their place in society gave them a free pass to treat women this way? Harvey Weinstein. Even allegations against President Trump. Time and time again, the, the, the more prestige and power, the more we think that we can just get away with. It says they killed Hamor, his son Shechem, with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah and they looted everything. You're, you're going you're gonna to rape our sister? All right, we're taking everything you own. Even your very lives. Innocent men are slaughtered in this. Innocent children lose their father. Innocent wives lose their husband. Innocent people are affected because of one person's sin. But then Jacob rebukes his sons. He says in verse 30, you have brought trouble on me by making me odious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, the, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and my men being few in number, these will gather together against me and they will attack me and I will be destroyed. I, I will be destroyed because of what you have just done. And, and their response, I get it. Should we just allow them to treat our sister like a whore? Is, Dad, is that what you're saying? That, that we should just allow them to treat our sister as though she is a whore? See, Jacob understood. And, and I, I, I want you to see why there's a rebuke here. Jacob understood that he could not get back what was taken from his daughter but that did not justify the senseless violence against an entire city. It went beyond just Shechem and Hamor. It went beyond just the one who committed, and it went else. And furthermore, Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, they used the covenant of God to justify. Hey, we're people of God's covenant. The mark of this covenant is the circumcision. You come into this circumcision. They used that because they knew that the men would be maimed and they could get away with their scheme. So, so please do not think Jacob is excusing the rape. I do not believe that's what he's doing. I believe he is saying, you went beyond the scope of what should have been done. There's the rebuke. But what we find in this passage of Scripture I believe, are at least four sinful responses to sexual abuse. I, I, I believe we, we see them play out today in modern society in the same way, but I, I believe that there are four different actions that, that are, are sinful responses to what happens. And, and, and because we live in such 
such a twisted society. A, a society that wants to preach and wants to, uh, to wave the banner for the mantra, if it feels good, do it. but doesn't want to realize personal restraint. A, a society that wants to talk about sexual freedom and, 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 and basks in this sexual revolution that took place a couple of generations ago, but that has led to greater levels of brokenness, not just in the home and the family, but in individual lives. All the sexual revolution has done is, is to bring in Pandora's box of dismay, of brokenness, of hurt, and has left carnage everywhere. Everywhere. And... We've got four respondents. We've got Jacob. Jacob the father. J Jacob the patriarch. It's his daughter who is raped. And he's silent. It is sinful to respond in silence to sexual abuse. Period. We're going to start on the outside and then work inside. If you know that someone possibly has been abused sexually, you've got to say something. Well, it's none of my business. If you know it's become your business. And as a follower of Christ, we're going to talk about this in more in a minute. Your business is to seek justice, to love mercy. It's better to have the proper people involved and be wrong than to turn a blind eye and perpetuate sexual violence, sexual abuse, and the brokenness. It says there in this passage of scripture that, well, the boys are gone, so Jacob stayed silent when he heard. Look, I'm a dad. I'm a dad of a young girl. I am, for the most part, not an aggressive person. I don't really like to fight. You come after my daughter, this church will be finding a new preacher. I'm going to address my response in just a little bit. Don't you worry. You, you can't be silent. Because silence communicates apathy. And we cannot be apathetic. Just as human beings. But specifically as human beings redeemed by the blood of Christ. When, when it comes to, to sexual abuse. The Bible says 
To him that knows what he is to do, but does it not, to him that is a sin. In other words, if you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, that is a sin of omission. You are omitting the right action. Silence is a sin of omission. Period. Shechem's our next respondent. Shechem is the sin of cover-up. Cover-up. Well, if I could just marry this girl, we'll make it go away. It's okay, because I love her. All of the statements that Shechem make, we see them time and time and time again, even in modern society. We try to cover up. We're more concerned with saving face and maintaining prestige. You, you know why the Houston Chronicle had such a huge bullet for the Southern Baptist Convention in their three-part series on sexual abuse cover-up? Because it came down to pastors that were more concerned with saving the reputation of the church than dealing with the brokenness. So they covered it up. They sent the staff member on somewhere else. They did not do their due diligence. We see it even in the church. Let me go back just a second. I forgot there was a second part to the silence. We'll come back to Shechem. If, if you have suffered sexual abuse, please speak up. Let, let me know. We, we've got men and women right here in this church that they might not be the answer, the right authority, but they know how to get you to the right authority. To love you through this. You can't go through it alone. Don't be silent. Please do not be silent. But then there's cover up. As long as we think we can control it and make it go away. Man, we're good at covering stuff, right? That started all the way back with great-grandpappy Adam in the garden. The very first thing he did when he realized he sinned was he tried to cover it up. He tried to stitch together for his own clothes. But it was only in the covering that God provided that he founded he found freedom. He found forgiveness. He found wholeness. He couldn't take back what had been done, but he can't just cover it up either. See, there is no mention in Shechem's words of remorse, of repentance. Man, I, I, man, I wish, I, I, I wish, I wish, I wish that Shechem's words had been I wish it said, he was deeply attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, I screwed up. I messed up. I acted on biology. I acted on impulse. I acted on my thought of prestige. And it was wrong. I have defiled this girl. We've got to make it right with her and her family. I wish that's how it had gone. But it didn't. And Dinah's not the only one to suffer from that. Sexual abuse is covered up every single day. Every day in our country, in our churches, in our schools, every facet of our society, every facet of our world grapples with this. And it's wrong. The abuse is wrong, the abuse is sinful, but then the cover-up just adds to the sin. Shechem's daddy is our third responder, Hamor. 
Maybe it's because he's the, the king of the city, the prince of the city, whatever it is. He, man, he's the regent, man. He's in charge. He's got the money. He's got the prestige. So what does he do? He manipulates. He manipulates. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're, 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 we're going we're to give you our daughters. If we're just going to become one people. We're going to be this one big old happy family. We're going to act like this never took place. And then notice what he says to the people there in his city. Hey, they're all going to become part of us. And soon enough, we're going to have everything that they own. Their flocks are going to be ours. Their money's going to be ours. Their family's going to be ours. So this is all about. The reason things get covered up and the reason there's silence is because most often there is manipulation involved. A young girl is sexually abused and what's one of the first things? You can't tell anybody about this. If you tell anybody, I, I'm going to tell them that you threw yourself on me. Well, they're not going to believe you. You're, everybody knows who you've been with. Everybody knows that this is something you've done before. Everybody knows. And their manipulation continues to add to the cover-up to be a gag order of silence. And it's got to stop. One of the one of the stories that came out with Houston Chronicle articles on Southern Baptist life, the pastor wanted to do the right thing. And the leaders in the church said, you can't. It'll cost you your job. It'll cost you some stuff in your family. You can't. It's manipulation. Christy and I served a church right out of seminary where a staff member had been fired and arrested because they'd abused a child. It split the church and it cost the pastor his job. It cost him his job because the leadership of the church had told him not to report it to authorities. They tried to manipulate. We, we can't say that it's just what happens in the streets. It's just what happens in these affluent neighborhoods. It's just what happens in school. It happens here. It's got to stop because there are lives that are being broken. No church, no organization, no school, no neighborhood is worth more than the life of one person. The brokenness of one person. The moment that we, and I'm going to talk we, First Baptist Church of Fairburn, Georgia, place that title above the proper handling of someone who has been abused, we cease to be a church and we begin becoming an organized cult. That's it. No, no manipulation, no cover-up. It's got to be handled biblically and properly. And then the fourth respondents are Simeon and Levi. And their response is violence. Can, can I just be real with you for a second? I'm, I'm trying to be real the whole, the whole time here. But had Jacob not been silent, I don't think that Simeon and Levi would have acted the way they did. You, you see, how, see how important that response of silence then becomes. See, Simeon and Levi, they do this because they saw their daddy not do anything about it. That's, what, that's the basis of their question. 
Why should we let these men think they could treat our sister like a whore? Why, why, why should we allow that? Do I condone what they did in Shechem? I absolutely do not. The senseless violence and murder are sinful responses. But they could have been prevented. Most often, acts of violence, most often, I mean the overwhelming vast majority of times, acts of violence are retaliatory over something that could have been prevented had it been handled properly the right time. Sometimes we just get crazy in our emotions and we respond and there's no, we don't allow for the right course to be taken. But the silence led to the violence. Furthermore, had it not been for the violence, who's not to say that the sexual assaults would not have continued to happen in Shechem? Not condoning the violence, but bringing to light the sinful response. We, see it, we still see it. We, we, we still see it in society today. We take matters into our own hands. We, 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 we allow emotion and rage. It says that they were grieved and they were angry in verse seven and they should have been. When we are come face to face with sin, no matter how minor or how, how egregious the sin is, well, I say minor, in the eyes of God, sin is sin. But let's be real. We're a little bit more, we're a little bit more comfortable telling a little fib to somebody than maybe we are with rape or murder, Right? Whether it's a little fib or whether it's what Shechem did or what Simeon Levi did, we, we, we tend to be more comfortable with the life. But what we should respond to is with grief and anger over the presence of sin, period. That is okay. That's called righteous indignation or, or a God-centered anger at the presence of sin. That's what sent Jesus to the cross, ladies and gentlemen, was his anger over sin his wrath poured out because you and I sinned but it's not in our place to respond in violence it's not whether we agree with what took place whether we agree with how it's been handled it's not in our place to respond with violence so so how does the cross handle this how does the cross address sexual abuse? We're going to kind of back out of Genesis chapter 34 for just a little bit. Because we've seen how sin would cause us to respond. But this morning, if you are here and you are in Christ Jesus, you're not under the power of sin. You're under the power of the cross, the Redeemer, the Savior. If you have never trusted Christ, if you have never said, you know what, <laughs> somehow, Evan, you're sitting up there in that chair and you're talking about sexual abuse, but you're also talking about wrong responses and I have felt that and I sense that I'm in sin and I need Christ. Today's a day where you can come to him and see something brand new take place in your life and walk in a pattern of biblical cross-centered response. So, so let me just start with this one. You are not defined by the evil that's done to you. 
I say that because I do understand that in this congregation, in this room, there is the possibility that there is at least one person that has suffered sexual abuse. Whether, whether it was groping, whether it was, uh, whether it was rape, whether it was what it, whatever it is. Sexual abuse can be defined by any unwanted sexual contact. Whether it is hand or the full engaging of intercourse what if it's done without consent if it's done without permission if it's done even if it's done by manipulation where you're just worn down and finally you just give into it because otherwise you fear that you're going to be raped anyway you're not defined by what's happened to you that act was evil That act was sin. You did not invite it. You did not cause it. You are not defined by it, period. The cross has done something different. I I love the way the the common English version translates uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen for you. 1 Corinthians 5, 17. Go ahead and jot that down in your margin. It says this. Or excuse me, this is New Living Translation. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are new. You're forgiven. You're free. You have the ability to grow. Yes, that scar is still there. That pain is still there. But it does not define you. The cross defines you. And you know the definition that the cross gives to you? Child of God, redeemed, free. You have value. You are loved more than you ever imagined you could be loved. And in spite of the brokenness that has encapsulated you, you have freedom in him. New life has begun. The cross wants you to see that. Maybe you have not been a victim of sexual abuse. And so I want you to see that regardless of what sin is in your past, whether committed to you or by you, you're not defined by that. In Christ, you're made new. Second, the cross compels you and me to act on behalf of those who have been abused. The, the cross says silence cannot be our MO. We cannot walk in silence when there has been abuse. Uh, just think about what the cross did. You were under the bondage of sin and someone became your advocate. You were under the penalty of death and sin because you are a sinner. I am a sinner. Every single one of us is a sinner. We were all under the condemnation of sin, but we had an advocate. Someone stepped in and took the penalty for us. Now, while you cannot take the penalty for your brother or sister, for your family, for your friends, whoever it is, you cannot take the penalty for them, you can become an advocate in Christ for them because we have to speak up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, says it very, very poignantly. Write this, that one down there in the margin. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens 
you find out that someone has been abused sexually and they are carrying a huge burden. If you're in Christ, you are commanded to carry it. You are compelled by the cross to carry it. Christ Jesus carried your burdens. You carry someone else's. Notice it also says, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's the law of love. Love one another, even as I have loved you. They came to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? He says, well, I'll tell you what it is. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The cross compels us to act on behalf of someone who has been abused. You can't be silent. You can't be part of a cover-up. We've got to... Look, let me tell you as your pastor... I'm not asking you to have all the answers at all. Somebody comes to you, I'm not asking you to have all the answers. I'm asking you just to, to act on their behalf. Find, help find the answers. Find the right person who, who can get to the right answer. Come and talk to me. I, I promise you, I promise you right now. If someone has come to you or does come to you with an allegation of sexual abuse, and you come to me, it is not gossip. It is going to find the right way to be healed. Not because I have the answer, but because I want to be active in helping find the answer. Hey, maybe, maybe you carry a burden because you have been the abuser. Let's, let's be real with that for just a second. We can't just say that it's, that, you know, if we have someone who's been abused, there has to have been an abuser. If someone has been abused in the church or in a relationship around the church, it is safe to also say that someone in the church has done the abuse. Let us help you carry that burden because you've got to find forgiveness at the foot of the cross for that and find healing. You can't let that define you, but we've got to make it right, biblically, the right way lest we be Shechem. The third is that vengeance and justice are not the same thing. Vengeance and justice are not the same thing. Justice was not served in Shechem that day. I know in the mind of Simeon and Levi, you treated my sister this way, you did this this disgraceful thing against our family, we're gonna be done with all of you. That was vengeance, that was not justice. It's just not. Vengeance and justice are completely separate things. One is vengeance is not our responsibility. Vengeance is the responsibility of God. Justice is our responsibility. It says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans 12, 19, jot that one down. It says this. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord God. See, the difference between vengeance and justice is we think we can control vengeance, but we do not operate in the realm and the bounds of vengeance. We don't operate eye for eye. We operate eye for two eyes. We don't operate uh, foot for foot. We operate foot for both legs. 
right? We, we overstep the bounds because we are controlled and dictated by emotion when it comes to that point. God is not. God is not trying to figure anything out. He has it all figured out. And while it may not make sense to us, and while we may think, I mean, the Bible, trust me, you are not alone. If you, if you have been abused in any way, if you have been sinned against in any way, you are not alone because we all have, in some regard, been sinned against. And we all just relate. The Bible talks about this. Why does it seem that the wicked continue to prosper while those who are righteous are just stuck? You've been there? Someone sins against you and says that they get away scot-free and you're left dealing with the pain and the consequence. Vengeance is God's. We don't seek revenge. Trust me, it starts in small ways. My youth pastor hated, absolutely hated prank wars. Now, if you know me, I'm a little bit of a prankster. He hated them because he said, it, it's never the same thing. He says, it always starts. You roll my house, then I roll your house and do something else. And because I rolled your house and do something else, you come back, you roll my house again, and then you do two things because you've got to one up everything, right? Shechem suffered the ultimate one up for his sin. Not only did it cost him his life and his father his life, every family in Shechem was affected because we take vengeance to the next level they're they're not the same thing what is justice justice is seeking that the just cause of an individual is served only a just god can execute justice justly period even in our court system, justice is not always served. Men and women that have been entrusted with the responsibility of serving justice are still broken men and women that cannot execute true justice. But if you're a follower of Christ, you've got to know, and I want you to memorize, put it in your heart, memorize Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah 6, verse 8, this is, this is what the, common, uh, the contemporary English version says. I, I love their translation. Go ahead and flip to that one. There we go. The Lord God has told us what is right and what he demands. See that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. See that justice is done. We seek justice, not revenge. If you've been hurt, help. Let us help you find justice. Please. And the fourth, only Christ will give you rest. Only Jesus Christ. You're carrying a burden. You're carrying the baggage. And, 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 and you're trying to find rest everywhere. I, I wish I had the statistics. I, I, I wish I could go... I wish I could go and look I just and just maybe even just take a 25 year sample of what happens, what's happened in the last 25 years to reporters of, of sexual abuse. I would venture to say that, and this is just speculation, but somewhat informed speculation, higher rate of drug use, higher rate of, incarceration 
a higher rate of suicide. Trying to find something to give you rest and to give you peace that was not designed to give you rest or give you peace and therefore cannot. You're not going to find it in a friendship. You're not going to find it in, an, in, in a marriage. You're not going to find it in being a parent. You're not going to find it, just to be honest with you, you're not even going to find it in the church. This is, this is not therapy. <laughs> this is not come, come in and, and get all your problems out and then feel good. Only Christ Jesus can do that. Yeah, we can help. A strong marriage, a good parent-child relationship, good relationships in the church can help, but only the true rest that you need can be found in Christ Jesus. It's not gonna be found in a bottle. It's not gonna be found in what you can put in your body. It's only gonna be put, uh, found in what can redeem your heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, all of you come to me. Are you carrying a burden? Is that, is that slide up there, Perry? Yeah. Are you having a real struggle? Come to me. This is New Testament for everyone translation. Are you having a real struggle? Come to me. Are you carrying a big load on your back? Come to me. I will give you rest. Whatever that burden is, if you have been a victim, come and find rest. Come and find it. I want to give you a chance to respond as our, as our musicians make their way forward, as, as, as Lewis makes his way up to lead us in a song. I, I know this is not your typical come to the altar, but, but I, I'm asking you where you are. It, it takes courage, it takes strength, and it takes bravery. If this has affected you personally or someone you know, I want you to come and I want you to pray. You might not be ready to tell me. You might not be ready to tell someone. But I at least want you to come and pray. Maybe you know someone who, who has had something done to them. Come and pray for them. Pray for the strength to help them. Maybe you've got something in your past that, that you've been running from. A past abuse that you have committed. Come and pray. Don't carry the burden by yourself. That's not what you were designed to do. But maybe this morning, it is appropriate for us as a church to all bind our hearts in prayer and just pray that God would bring justice to a broken world where, where sexual abuse is continually perpetuated. And you wanna just come lay it down. You wanna gather with a friend, with, with, with your husband, with your wife, and just have time of prayer this morning. We might sing a couple extra verses because I'm calling us to prayer that we could see the light of Christ in us push back this darkness. As the Spirit of God has placed on your heart and leads you, we're going to ask you to come. Let's pray together. Father, we know your word is designed to teach us, to correct us, to bring us into the fullness of joy and understanding of who you are and 
our great need for you. And, and Father, sometimes we know that your word places us in the crosshairs of an uncomfortable conversation for many reasons. But God, it's in the safety of our covenant community of faith that, that we have to dialogue and talk and address sin where it exists so that we can see redemption pour out and reconciliation shape us. So Father, anyone this morning that, that is here this morning, that, 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 is, that is, has struggled, that has, has suffered abuse, I pray, Father, that you would bring them to the path of healing. Maybe, Lord, they've already walked a path of healing and they're in a position where they're ready to help someone else. Lord, praise, praise you for that. But God, in this time, I ask that your spirit would compel us to no longer be bystanders. but to be ushers of the glory of Christ as we bring the broken to you. Because only you can heal, only you can fix, only you can make whole. God, we love you. And we ask that you move even now. In the name of Christ, we ask this. Amen.